Welcome to Note Doctors. My name is Paul. My name is Jen. My name is Ben. And we are your hosts. We are all university music theory instructors who are passionate about music theory and music theory instruction. In this podcast, we will be talking about all things theory with some of the best music theory teachers in the country. If you want to know more about music theory and the most effective and innovative ways to teach it, this is the podcast for you. Hello and welcome back to Note Doctors, the music theory and pedagogy podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We have a great episode coming up here. We are talking to the one and only Dr. Toby Rush or Tobias Rush, which is actually on his website at the University of Dayton. It's Tobias, but he goes by Toby. Uh, we have a great conversation with him coming up. Uh, but Jen, first, uh, let our listeners know a little bit more about Dr. Rush. Absolutely. So Toby is an associate professor at the University of Dayton, where he oversees music theory, oral skills, composition, and music technology. His research interests include music theory and oral skills pedagogy, educational technology, interactive web design, and braille music notation. Over the last several years, he's been working with Stephanie Acevedo of University of Connecticut to overhaul the traditional undergrad music theory curriculum and make it more diverse, accessible, and relevant to 21st century musicians, a project which was given an honorable mention for the Society of Music Theory's inaugural award for diversity course design in 2021. And we talk a lot about that course redesign and many other things. It's a great conversation. But with the electronic stuff, like that's something that I think we need to really start taking seriously from a music theory point of view. It's always been sort of, in my mind, sort of sidelined into music technology courses, which are almost never, in my experience, uh, required. They're always like kind of, oh, here's some, some cool stuff that you can take if you're interested in it. I mean, this is what's creating music nowadays, and and if we if we don't, you know, if we're if we're not educating our students on that, then we're we're not doing them any favors. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Note Doctors. Thank you so much for tuning in to listen uh, to our episode. We have an awesome guest, um, Toby Rush from University of Dayton, so up in Ohio. So I'm actually from Northeastern Ohio, so um, it's clear, very close to my heart uh, up there. And so we're really excited to talk with you, Toby, about all the really cool and innovative things you do in the theory classroom. But before we get into some of those things, we always like to ask our guests a little bit about how they got into theory. So, you know, how did you get into theory? And also on a second point, what is it like having one of the top five coolest music theory names, <laughs> theorist names of all time? I mean, wow. Toby Rush. I mean, how cool is that? Like, I want to no. learn from Toby Rush. <laughs> I never, that, that's really the first time anyone's ever said that to me, which I'm, I'm flattered. But I always, you know, we always fill out like the little NPR what is your NPR name and you know that kind of uh-huh. thing so wow I'm, I'm really I'm really amazed <laughs> um, no I uh, um, yeah I started so my this is going to totally date me but um, my my first 
kind of experience in music in general was apparently, according to my mom, uh, when we came home from watching the original Star Wars in 1977, um, I guess, I, so I was three years old, and I went to the piano and was like plunking out the theme, um, wow. and she was like, we need to get that kid into piano lessons, so um, I was I was in, you know, piano lessons and doing music from a really young age, and it really wasn't, like, so in high school then, I... Um, I was the I was the composer kid like I I was the one who was like writing sonatas or whatever and I say sonatas I think it was a sonata maybe but um I uh, I was I was enjoying that and and you know my my uh, other students were were you know performing some of my stuff and that kind of oh. thing and so when it came time to choose a college I was pretty clueless um, and uh, uh, also my parents weren't gonna like send me to some super high expensive uh place so um we kind of just looked around locally and i ended up going to uh adam state it's now adam state university but it was adam state college uh this was in southern colorado um and they had a music ed degree and a music uh performance degree and i know i didn't really want to be a performer so I went into music ed and it was you know a K through 12 degree um, which I you know again I was composing that kind of thing and, and I enjoyed it and uh, did my student teaching semester which I really thought was a fantastic experience um, I ended up teaching in a rural school district so I was like uh, I started the morning at the middle school, then I went to like one elementary school, then I went to another elementary school, and then I ended at the high school, which is like pretty typical for for a rural music uh, educator. Um, and it was just a it was a really good experience. And it was really valuable, and um, I think the thing that I learned from that experience was that I didn't want to be a K through 12 music educator. Um, and it wasn't that I was like, you know, it wasn't because I hated anything. I thought I was like, well, this just isn't me. Um, so I was like, well, I guess I'll go to grad school. So I went uh, up to Greeley, Colorado, University of Northern Colorado. Um, and uh, I had still been composing. So I thought, okay, well, I'll get a theory and comp degree. Um, and in the process there got a, a TA teaching freshman theory and then it was like okay this this is where I want to be like that was I always tell my students and, and my kids too is like look I didn't figure out what I wanted to grow, be when I grew up until like after I had gotten my bachelor's degree so don't don't mm-hmm. stress out you know on that first day of uh, of your freshman year but uh, yeah so I um yeah I, I, I decided to I stayed there and got my doctorate and uh, I looked around and actually um, that was what 10 15 years ago and and uh and came out to university of dayton where they gave me a tenure track position and um yeah and i've just always i've i've loved teaching um and figuring out how people uh enjoy you know music and and how they understand music and how how it makes sense to them honestly i think one of my first sort of moments in that was teaching when i was when i was a student teacher one of my cooperating teachers um had to like retake her her licensure exam or something like that it was like I don't remember the the situation, but she needed to learn some theory stuff. So I was like teaching her intervals and like I hadn't taken, you know, this was after my bachelor's degree. I hadn't taken like any pedagogy classes or anything like that. So it was like I just kind of figured out how I understood intervals and kind of created a a lesson for her to to teach her. And I guess it worked. 
Um, but so, yeah, I've always felt a little bit, you know, I, especially as I uh, work with with people from, you know, Ivy League schools and that kind of thing. I, I always felt sort of the outsider, like, OK, well, I I kind of figure a lot of this stuff out on my own and it's probably wrong, that kind of thing. And uh, I guess you just keep doing that until pretty soon people start treating you like you know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm at now. But yeah, that, that was yeah, that, that's that's pretty much what kind of led me to where I am now, which I love. I love my job. I love going to school every day. I always feel bad when I see on Twitter people, you know, it's like, oh, academia is the worst. Like, well, I kind of love it, actually, but I'm not going <laughs> to make a big stink about it. So. That's great. And Jen, you have a similar kind of story about yeah. you know, being music ed and yep. yeah. realizing after student teaching that this is not. Yeah. And even a really similar, my student teaching was K-12. Yeah. And so it was similar. It was like, you know, kindergartners at 8 a.m. and then middle school band <laughs> right. and choir and then high school band and choir. Right, and, you know, right. maybe in the middle we go back and teach fifth grade. And, you know, I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I also had the same feeling of like, this is great, but I, this is not this isn't it. Yeah. <laughs> so. And I mean, it gave me such a huge respect for the people who yes. work in K through 12, you know, middle school t band teachers. Like I'm just, I'm not worthy. Like they are amazing people because I know they're passionate about music. And a lot of times they have to kind of almost bottle that up a little bit and deal with some of the more general elements of education and certainly all of the, you know, the, bureaucracy and, and whatnot that that comes with that sort of a degree right. um whereas here you know I, it's totally normal for me to just kind of go full geek out on on a <laughs> you know unsuspecting freshman and say oh yeah that works this way and and it's not gonna it's not gonna cause too many problems i don't think but yeah right. I, I agree right. well and i definitely i mean i've said this many times before but i benefit every day from having had that education Definitely. training and that background yeah. even though i didn't end up in k-12 i still use all of that right for lesson planning for curriculum planning for just classroom management all of those things exactly so, yeah. yeah it's kind of funny right now so i have i have six kids and uh they go from my youngest is seven years old my oldest is is 20 but uh mm -hmm. My my third oldest right now is he, he's going to be starting his junior year in high school, and um, he is just fallen head over heels in love with marching band. Like he is out there doing band camp. He's he's running to do the push ups or whatever things that, yeah, which is great. And so I haven't like I've I've kind of made a policy. I was like, okay, I'm not going to just push all my kids to be in music because I want them to figure out what they want to do. Right. But I'm starting to get ready to say, hey, you know what, music ed, it's a great you know like this you. you you are totally that person like you're, you're gonna you're gonna really enjoy it if that's the way you want to go so yeah totally. yeah that's great i did just band in my student teaching i just did right. band and even with that you know i kind of had the same the same experience where it was great yeah. but it wasn't like super fulfilling for me especially compared to my colleagues i found my colleague right. coming back to class and saying oh my gosh i miss my students so much i can't wait to you know get my own classroom and i was thinking I can hold off a little, yeah. a little bit. <laughs> I actually don't miss them. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> but I love teaching. So that's, you know, that's the thing. It's like, but where is my place? I knew that that wasn't exactly it. And I feel right. like, you know, we kind of carve our own way sometimes and figuring out things on the fly. I think that's the super strength for you. You know, sometimes you get clouded by your 
you know, your previous conception of something kind of clouds your vision right. of like a curriculum or a lesson. Mm-hmm. And then to have like almost a blank slate can create like a really unique viewpoint. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've so learned cool. to trust that a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. As I, as I get older and, and recognize that, you know, certainly with a lot of the stuff that's happening, it's like we're trying to break away with kind of the, the way it's been done for years and years and mm-hmm. years. And so, and, and, you know, I, of course, I look back on like my first TA and, and I just cringe at how, you know, like that, that year was just <laughs> like, it, I, I could have easily been sorry to not, you know, enjoy that. But, uh, but, you know, for whatever reason, it just kind of resonated with me. And, and yeah, so I've, I've continued to enjoy it. Well, one of the first things that I found of yours on online, this is years and years ago, were these sheets they are blue light blue and yeah. white with these cartoon there's a dog i remember there's a cartoon dog <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and they each sheet was a, a theory topic and it right. was taught in a really interesting and dynamic way it was funny it would have little jokes in the margin it was kind of like like someone's notes about a topic you know yeah. And the topic there too. So you get these kind of multiple perspectives going on and the the whole series is called Music Theory for Musicians and Normal People, which I (laughs) love that title. Um, And and there there and there's continued to be like dozens and dozens of these sheets and they were really kind of a lifeline for me on a few on a few occasions where i was like oh i gotta teach this augmented six and you have this augmented six sheet right um yeah and so can you talk to us a little bit about why you created these and maybe you can even explain it a little bit better than i did what what they really are Right, right. Well, that's fine. And I've I've always kind of struggled at being able to explain <laughs> what they really are, but uh, but yeah. So these they um and and yeah. So many people have I've I've gone viral a few times with it, uh, which you know, which generally amounts to me like figuring out why is my website down for whatever reason, and then like apologizing, <laughs> but uh, which is which is super flattering, obviously. But uh, no, these these started out at almost as a joke with my so this was when i was teaching at the university of northern colorado um kind of in my banter with my students i would always kind of say oh yeah when i make my theory textbook it's going to be a comic book you know kind of just as a joking sort of thing uh but then i i kind of got thinking about it and i thought well that would actually be pretty cool but this was also like you know when i was young enough and and uh you know intimidated enough by the discipline that i was like okay well i don't know if that's you know a real like could be a real thing and in fact what one of the things that sort of emboldened me to to push forward with it was um i was it was on the news or something like that so 9 11 happened and then there was the like the commission for you know they they had the the politicians where they kind of was like going what what exactly happened they made this gigantic report um which i'm sure like few people read but uh they, I, I saw in the news that some a couple of artists had gotten together and they basically made a comic book version of the 9-11 commission report as a way of making it more kind of digestible. And I was like, that's what I'm talking about. Like that, hmm. here, here's somebody else, you know, doing something pretty serious with that. And um, now I don't consider myself an artist by any stretch of the imagination. I wish I could draw better than I can, but... Uh, but I thought, you know, that's the sort of packaging that that especially college students like they really 
they really that really works for them. And so I started doing these just for my own class. I just made you know, and, and the they started out as essentially just review sheets. I would say, OK, well, here's basically a summary of this lesson. Um, and I, you know, I, and of course, my class loved them. And then they started, you know, this was what, mid 2000s. They're like, well, you have to put these online. And so <laughs> I thought, well, OK, I, I can, but I, I, I'm not trying to, you know, make any big statement with them and and i did and of course then they started going going crazy and everyone seemed to really enjoy them and i'd start you know going to like conferences and and people was like oh i know you you're that guy that has the con so um and what what i found though like they actually helped me in a way too is because i forced myself like you said i forced myself to keep it to one page per topic and when you do that, you, you really have to figure out what do you want to put in and more importantly, what can you leave out? Um, and, and part of it then is how can you explain this in the simplest or most uh, efficient way? Um, not necessarily like, you know, oh, I'm just not going to talk about this, but like how can I incorporate this? And so sometimes like, you know, musical examples will be there that you know serve a bunch of different purposes um to to uh to kind of do that so yeah that's that's something that i mean i've always really enjoyed messing with those and i'm ashamed that i haven't made more uh recently but uh you know <laughs> life gets busy but um yeah that's and that's that's something that uh i also you know we talk ta like a lot of stuff in the discipline lately is talking about public music theory and that was sort of a mm -hmm. an early experience of mine with that where it's like okay you know i there's a lot of stuff out there that is is easy to easy to digest like this but it's not very good or it's not very comprehensive or it's you know it only covers up to intervals and nothing more um and so i thought well what if i could do that and have it still be you know have, have some academic rigor to it um and i'll admit that you know i it was an opportunity for me to kind of speak my own <laughs> opinions about things <laughs> I, I think the the um species counterpoint stuff i have uh <laughs> my 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 own sort of feelings about how well Fuchs is really kind of flying on his own and, yeah and you, so throw I, I, you throw some shade i think yeah, on I Fuchs, right <laughs> well <laughs> that one it, it's it, it's kind of it, it, you know i think that also speaks to you know uh, teaching students to be critical of of you know who's who's speaking and and where that information is coming from and so you know I've, i i welcome <laughs> disagreement with that um but yeah no it's been it's been a lot of fun i i throw i throw them together in in adobe illustrator and uh i spent uh, probably a day or two making the little note guy um mm. and and you know i just have him like looking in different ways and different smiles so i can just copy and paste and um, and the uh, Sparky, the music theory dog, which right. was also an early, early joke in my class. I've, <laughs> I've never actually had a dog. <laughs> I've got a couple cats at home, um, but uh, but it just seemed like a fun. <laughs> it was it was like the the in my theory class. It was like the the, the mascot. Like, oh, Sparky says, get your assignments in on time and that sort of thing. So it, it sort of worked out. Uh, pretty well for that so yeah that's always been a, a lot of fun and, and i do promise to get back to those uh at some point i i uh 
I, I know a lot of people, I've, I've actually spoken to a lot of people that kind of use them as a theory textbook, which I'm mm-hmm. really flattered by. Um, I don't feel like they're, they're complete enough for that. <laughs> like, I, I feel like that, you know, it's, it's good for sort of reviews, but um, hopefully people are not just, <laughs> just saying, okay, here's music theory and that's it. <laughs> There's a little bit more to it than that. That's, that's the problem. And that's what we've learned too, is you put stuff on the online and then you become an expert all of a sudden that's and, you don't, and you're not, you're not an expert. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's totally it. <laughs> uh, I mean, we, we were asked to speak at the Texas SMT a uh, conference on a plenary talk on pedagogy. What on earth? <laughs> Why us? I mean, you have Gary Karpinski zooming in, and we have yeah. all these amazing people in the room, and we're ta- talking to you. And that's so it. Yeah, it's, and and it's, yeah, it's 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 that again. It's like you know, that's when I when I talk to people who are like, oh, I've got so much imposter syndrome. It's like, no, we're all in the same boat. Like we all, none of us know what we're doing, but pretty soon people start talking to us like we do. And then you kind of say, well, I guess I must have something to say then. So yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> oh, I just love your commentary under each poster, like on the website, you know, <laughs> under suspensions. Incidentally, dogs can only hear dissonance in black and white. <laughs> Like I love these. I love all of them. I, I'm 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 well known in my department as being the resident dad, and primarily because of the dad jokes. I, I run our I run our our uh, Friday afternoon student recitals, and I I can't walk off the stage without them demanding a dad joke from me. So yeah, <laughs> I've got a reputation to uphold. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I mean, in terms of using using them as a textbook, the big upside is they're very digestible and right. students like to read them. You know, the problem yes. with the textbook is a lot of times the students don't read it or don't take full advantage of exactly. a gigantic resource like that anyway. Yeah. So having it be digestible in that form and in a way that's fun and lighthearted, not so heavy and like, let's right. talk about Bach today, you know, <laughs> right. Um, right. even though, you know, he's, he makes appearances, but that it's in this, yeah. you know, fun, fun way. I think that's really fantastic. Well, and I think there's a, there's a measure of trust that, that our students give us that we kind of have to live up to that. We're going to tell them stuff that's useful and not burden them with stuff that's unnecessary. And, mm-hmm. And that's something I certainly do in my classes, too, where it's like, okay, you know, I could go into gory detail about X, Y, Z, you know, like, like, oh, let's look at these bizarre alterations of augmented six chords or whatever. Um, but, but I have to be ready to say, you know, for the students, like, okay, well, when am I going to use this? And I think, gosh, you know, I, I look at like the other faculty in my department, it's like, none of them use this on a daily basis. Like, <laughs> why, why should I burden you with it? And so that's, you know, I, I, there's, there's a balance between, you know, kind of being at the whim of uh, a, a beginning theory student and, and saying, oh, you know, oh, well, yeah, I'll, I'll just only give you what you think you need because they often need more than they think they need. But right. we can we can balance that because if we start really just, you know, giving them busy work and doing, you know, going on and on about stuff that's not going to have a lot of value later on in their career, um, then why should they trust us to listen to anything? So mm. so that's True. that's definitely something that, you know, those those sheets have helped me kind of gauge that as say, okay, well, let me let me 
let me boil this down. Let me let me get you your money's worth of, of education here and boil this down to something that makes sense. Um, but then also kind of, you know, try to get you excited about it because once you're excited about learning something, then you start to be eager to, to dig a little deeper and, and go a little further and push yourself. So that's, exactly. uh, you know, music theory has such a bad reputation from years and years and years of of people just like oh well this is you know this is the flunk out class and i'm going to make you work for it and like oh gosh we're not doing ourselves any favors by 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 saying that let's let's try to let's try to instill in our students the passion that got us into the into the field and and get them excited about what what got us here i think that's gonna go a lot farther that's so true. We've never had somebody articulate it that way, that we have sort of an agreement with our students that we're doing our best to give them the skills, the knowledge, the things that they need and are likely to, you know, come back to as they move throughout their career, even though we can't predict that perfectly, of course. But right. um, yeah, that's never been articulated quite that way. But I think we all definitely share that philosophy yeah. that the class should be useful and practical. It made me think of... Um, Every now and then you have a student that's advanced and really curious. And when a student like that asks a really good question that I know is way beyond what we need to do today yeah. in class, I will yeah. always say to everyone in the room, I'm going to answer this question. But if right. you are already overwhelmed with what we did today, feel free to tune me out for the next two minutes. I do the same and, thing. That's yes. exactly it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I had a student one time actually cover her ears and say, just flag me down when you're done. I cannot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My brain is already full. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, yeah, and I think I think too, like even in this moment of time, like after you know going through online learning and everything like that that happened with the pandemic, we're really kind of like a lot of students have have kind of started to say, oh well, why do I need to bother with this whole going to class and and mm. learning from a college professor kind of thing? There's so much online I could learn you know stuff uh, on my own and that kind of thing. So. I think it, it it's incumbent on us to you know to kind of answer that and say yeah mm -hmm. what 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 added value are we providing and so if I can if I can be more of a facilitator for learning and and not just you know do do more than just like say the stuff that's that's already out there that you know actually actively guide my students and that that I think makes it more worth their while absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there we. I think we sometimes think that the students are there just for the topics or the concepts, but they're right. also there for us. Like yeah. they want to learn from an expert, or they want to learn from a person, right? right. And so we need to think <laughs> that we're part of you know the product in a way as well when we're when we're teaching. It's not just yeah. the concepts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So speaking of concepts and topics and <laughs> curriculum, you have made a lot of changes to your curriculum. And I'm so glad you, you told us about this before our conversation because this was new, new to me. Um, and so uh, talk to us a little bit about kind of the changes that you've made because uh, from the, from the uh, research and uh, the presentation that we were able to watch that you shared with us, I mean, you've done a wholesale rethink <laughs> about what music theory is like um, at your school. And so maybe kind of talk us through maybe kind of the genesis of, uh, how that started and kind of work our way to the present day. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is definitely my my current you know passion project. Uh, I'm really excited about it, and and you're gonna have to shut me up after a while because I'm just gonna <laughs> keep going on and on about it. But we, so I am um, when I came to the University of Dayton, I um, I there there was one other theorist. Uh, it's it's a smaller school. We have like 80 majors. Um, I mean, it's a smaller department, I should say. That it's like an R2 university, but we've got a, a fairly small uh, music department, um, just undergrad, uh, no grad students. And um, and so when I first came, I was actually the f- the first second theory professor. Like there there had only been one theory professor uh, since <laughs> the like creation of the department. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so this was the first time that there was a second one. And and the 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 guy who was here, Phil Magnuson, um, great great guy. And uh, he he kind of had a, a reputation in the department as being sort of the department curmudgeon. And and when I first came, like at the first uh, faculty meetings, they're like, oh wow, I, I, you you have to work with Phil. I, I hope that works out okay. I was like, gosh, he seems really nice to me. Um, but uh, and and Phil died last year, unfortunately. Um, but uh, I don't think he would disagree with <laughs> me saying any of that. Um, but anyway, so when he, when he, uh, when I, I, I came to UD, I kind of felt, you know, he had been teaching here for 30 years and I kind of felt like, oh, I ought to just kind of teach the curriculum he's teaching. Cause he didn't specify that I had to do that, but I could tell he really wanted me to do that. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really something that I, that I fully enjoyed or believed in um we were talking about knocking fuchs it was very uh, species counterpoint and uh and then moving into shanker and shankarian uh, uh notation which you know i it's got a, it's got its place but uh, it wasn't the way that i was used to teaching and so i kind of did it um and then he retired uh several years back and uh i kind of thought okay now's my chance to sort of kind of redo things that, that i wanted the way i want to do it and I happened to have a sabbatical, my first sabbatical when that happened. Um, and so I thought, okay, I'm going to take my sabbatical. I'm, I'm just going to completely go through the curriculum. And I wanted to, my, my goal was, there were a few different goals. One was to really take a good hard look at everything that we're teaching and ask ourselves, is this useful, relevant, beneficial for a 21st century musician, um, and that kind of thing. I wanted to go through and diversify our curriculum in, in the way that a lot of us are doing now, where it's like, you know, let's, let's, let's kind of get away from just constant old dead white German guys and, and, and let's you know, see how, how we can bring in some diverse voices. Um, and I really wanted to kind of take a look at our students specifically and say, okay, where are they going after, after they graduate? What kind of careers are they going into? And what is going to be beneficial for them, um, f- you know, for a theory class? So I had, have a benefit here that I know a lot of people don't have, and that is that my, my faculty and my department are very supportive. Like they, when I said that I wanted to overhaul the, the curriculum, they were just like, yeah, great. Let's. It's about time. Let's 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 do it. Um, they were they were ready. Um, they had been, I think, 
hearing from students about how you know frustrated they were that oh I have to learn this and that for theory and it doesn't really I don't feel like it applies but uh, uh, so there and and you know also bringing in diverse repertoire and whatnot and they wanted to be able to apply that a little bit more so so that was something that that really was helpful um, as I kind of looked into doing this so but anyway so I I started. Um, by really taking a good hard look at everything in the curriculum and and saying, okay, is this something that a 21st century student will need, will find useful, will find relevant in their career? And um, that meant a lot of times cutting some some darlings uh, out of our out of our uh, traditional curriculum that. Uh, uh, you know, in, in some cases, I, th I think that I, I genuinely think that there are some things that we have taught generation after generation in the theory curriculum simply because it's what we learned in the it, when we took theory. Mm -hmm. And and there are a few things where I thought, OK, well, who's going to use this? And when it when I when I found stuff where it's like, OK, the only people that I think are going to use this our students are going to go on to teach music theory in college so that they it's like, okay, now wait a minute. This is a feedback loop that we don't need to have. Um, and so, so it, it allowed me to make room for a lot more stuff in the curriculum that I think we do need. So for example, acoustics, um, something that we start with in this curriculum, uh, the nature of sound and how it, how it propagates and how it, it's generated and, and how the ear works. And, and I think that this is something that, that uh, first-year college students can totally understand. We don't have to go into the gory depths of, of physics and deal with you know, Fourier transformations and, and that kind of stuff. Um, for them to understand, like, okay, well, you know, amplitude and, and frequency, like this is what makes up sound. And then building that... You know, and, and then that stuff does have a, an application uh, when you get into things like tuning and, 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 and that kind of thing. Um, one of the things that I really am, am passionate about with this, uh, oh, so, so with, the, with the, the curriculum, basically I took, in, in the old curriculum, the fourth semester was devoted to 20th, 20th century uh, music, essentially post-romantic, uh, up through the common, the, the modern day, and so dealing with things like, you know, starting with Impressionism and whatnot, but then going through you know, the 12-tone uh, row stuff and minimalism and then that kind of thing. Um, in this new curriculum, I actually kind of have have gotten all of that. I, we, we spend the last half of the third semester doing that, and the first half of the, of the fourth semester is all devoted to electronics um, because mm -hmm. in my mind, you know, we talk about common practice period and, and, and the common practice, um, and that's a, that's a valuable thing. But in my mind, one of the common practices of today is studio uh, recording and electronics and filters and effects and, and things like that because honestly, you know, 90% of the music that is listened to by the human race is, I don't know, that, I'm just pulling that 
that <laughs> the statistic out of thin air. But you're yeah. you're you're on a what podcast? So you're an expert. Oh yeah, right, right. So we'll that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, so much of it is 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 you know stuff that's created in a studio and produced, and yeah. and it's easy for us to say, okay, well that's not real or or that doesn't have academic value. But no, I I think it absolutely has academic value. And if if you know. I tell my students, like, my personal definition of music is something that causes an emotional reaction in the listener. And if there's someone, you know, in tears listening to uh, a tune that has just moved them in a certain way, um, somebody did something right. And it may well be, you know, a, a committee of, of people working together to, to, to create that. But there's some value there. And there's something that I, as a theorist, want to figure out how it works. And so... So that's that's something that I'm I've tried to add in this uh, in this curriculum, and I should I say I this is I I've, I failed to mention that this has been a collaboration with my colleague Stephanie Acevedo, who's in uh, at the University of Connecticut, and uh, she was here at U University of Dayton, and we uh, we've kind of continued to work together on this, but it's been really a, a great partnership, um, and I, I think she's very patient with all of my uh, you know. Uh, uh, cockamamie ideas about about this kind of stuff, but but with the electronic stuff, like that's something that I think we need to really start taking seriously from a music theory point of view. It's always been sort of, in my mind, sort of sidelined into music technology courses, which are almost never in my experience uh required they're always like kind of oh here's some some cool stuff that you can take if you're interested in it i mean this is what's creating music nowadays and and if we if we don't you know if we're if we're not educating our students on that then we're we're not doing them any favors and of course it's a it's a huge learning curve for me because i'm not a recording engineer like i i've been you know I, i've i've tried to learn a lot of this as I go along, but that's obviously the huge uh, challenge with this is, is educating ourselves. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what uh, sort of the long and short of it. But so with, with, um, with adding that stuff in, yeah, there's stuff that, that I've had to, if not take out, then, then definitely reduce. So, um, you know, I used to spend a week on augmented six chords and we talked about, you know, the, the, the different, you know, part writing, uh, elements of it and, and resolutions. And we talk about the different, uh, you know, oh, well, you know, you could build them on the flat two or on the four, or you could, you know, invert them and, and that kind of thing. And now I spend a day, no, I, I spend a week talking about chromatic harmony in general. So we, in, in a week, we, we touch on Neapolitan six, we touch on uh, secondary dominance, we touch on uh, augmented six chords uh, and things like that. And because I think, you know, the 21st century musician, if they're aware of these things, if, if they know they exist, then if it becomes important later on in their college career or later on in their in their professional career, they can look it up and they they've got the the basic understanding for that without me making them do you know uh, two weeks worth of busy work and then memorization for a final exam and that kind of thing. Um, so I I recognize that that may uh, 
offend some <laughs> some folks out there <laughs> but uh that's that's kind of it and yeah so like uh things like the you know four-part writing and all the all the gory details of of uh, you know parallel fifths and and that kind of thing you know if we kind of approach that from let's talk about counterpoint in general and and talk and and we can use some of these techniques as sort of uh, case studies like oh here's how Bach handled this kind of thing one of the things that I am also trying to do with this is sort of challenge the myth that I think we are all aware of that students come away with saying oh well here are the rules for writing music when we know that that's mm -hmm. not really what it is that these are patterns for patterns of how some people wrote music but it's not you know we I, I'm sure we all had that experience I, I had it in in undergrad where I wrote a piece for choir and my my call my the choir director was looking at us like oh well you've got some parallel fifths here and I'm like yeah so is that a problem like like I, it's not a, it's not a rule but uh but our students come away with that simply because of how we frame it. Like if we if we start from square one saying, OK, we're going to look at common practice period music and, you know, impressionable youth, they're, they're going to see that as like, OK, well, this is the good stuff and I don't want to write the bad stuff. Um, so coming at it from a more neutral point of view, uh, I think is really important saying, OK, let's yeah, and 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 we can go the whole way like notation itself like our traditional method of notation i think it's best to say okay here's one way of doing it because there are other ways of doing it so lead sheet notation that's you know another way of of doing it that that most of you know what you're hearing on the radio it's not gonna you're not gonna find a full score to you know beyonce's uh latest album because it doesn't exist anywhere like it was assembled <laughs> in and uh and created sort of on the fly um and then you know you can talk about other you know, talk about standard midi format and braille music notation and, and stuff like that as as part of that so um it's a challenge definitely and i don't claim to th have it all figured out <laughs> yet this is definitely a <laughs> uh a work in progress and it will forever be a work in progress but i've had really good results so far and and we haven't been using it long enough to to graduate a class with it yet so you know that'll that'll be one of the things like ask me again in in eight years and and you know where i can kind of talk to the uh, alumni and say hey did <laughs> did we help you or did we make it worse and, uh so yeah that's kind of where that's at that's awesome yeah i wrote on one of my homeworks like to have everyone write i think it was like a deceptive progression or something yeah and move all the voices in the same direction you know create like parallel motion right. and one of my graders like freaked out and they were like is this a mistake or like dr graf like have you lost your, your mind you know and i was like no i was trying to you know have them write yeah. that you yeah. know and then write like as a different way right yeah. and it's, it's crazy like even students coming in even having taken ap theory you know one of my students wrote on my evaluation something like oh i like the way you presented it as like different options i didn't even know it was an option yeah. to yeah. write like mm -hmm parallel motion right. and i'm like right. of course that's like an option yeah. like that's crazy that you had that you know idea coming into the class Absolutely. like 
wow yeah you know? yeah and and i think that you know that's that's something you know, i i certainly have had a few students in the last few years where i can see them in the back room just kind of grumbling it's like you know this nonsense i i want to just learn about the the real way of of writing like bach and, and that kind of thing um and I think that too, one of the one of the nagging things that you know, as I was putting this together in the way that I teach, um, is that I think that it's actually easier on the students. Like they they're not it's it's coming to them a little bit easier. And and part of like the the college professor in me is worried that oh, I'm not making work hard enough. Like they they they're not memorizing things. They're not you know stressing out about a final exam that kind of thing. But one of the things that I've learned with this is that there can be academic value in just giving the students an excuse to try something they haven't done before. So like one of our, I spend a week talking about rap and I'm like the last person to, to, to profess <laughs> about rap, but I've, I've learned a lot about rap. And, and again, like here it's, I'm, I'm trying to really come at it from a theory point of view. It's like, let's break down what are the different components. Let's, let's, let's look at rap tunes and, and figure out like what's making this successful and what are, where's, where's the art happening here. Um, and so as part of that, I make each of the students write a rap and I have them perform it in class. And of course it's goofy fun, you know, and I, I walk the walk, I write a new rap every, every year. And it's always, you know, theory, uh, theory professor adjacent rap. Uh, um, but, uh, and, and, and I, I'm under like, it, it's an easy assignment. They have fun doing it and they, they, they probably don't like, it's, it's not super hard for them to do. But I bet that they would not have written a rap if I hadn't assigned them that that assignment. And so now they know that they can write and perform a rap. And it may not be, you know, Dr. Dre level or anything like that. But it's they and, and you know, it's got some rules like, OK, you have to include, you know, internal rhymes. You have to include a, 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 a what's the term? It's it's when they basically kind of have a pun in there. Um, and, you know, the, the different components that we that we sort of discover through the through the assignment. So, um but yeah, I, I, it makes it more accessible to th to them. It gives them a greater appreciation when they're listening to rap. Then they can say, "Oh, you know, I see what uh, what he's doing here. That that uh, I, I can I can respect the the creative process a little bit more." Um, I think that's valuable. I think that's a good experience. And mm -hmm. even if it's not necessarily hard or difficult, uh, I think it's beneficial. Hmm. At first, when you said, you know, make the students create something that they have never done before, like, obviously, that's obviously what we want to right. have them do. But in a way, <laughs> what's, that's what we are always doing. It's just, it seems that some of the things that we're making them do for the first time aren't so appropriate. Right. Like, let's, how many of those students have written a four voice chorale? Right. Right. Unless they took an AP, none of them have, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, so how many people have, how many students have written a rap? very few right? right it's what we're asking them to do That's rather it. than like you know we've, we're already doing that we're already making them do things they've never done before but now right. we're thinking more about what they could actually be relevant or what could be useful in their career rather than well i had to do this therefore you must do it as well right right and and maybe you know and i 
obviously you have to you have to find balance because then it's like okay well i may not you know if it's a four-part thing okay well maybe it's not maybe it's not going to have it's not going to cover every little detail of of uh of four-part writing as as we understand in a discipline but but if it kind of gets them in the door and starts starts those you know uh, ideas working in their head then that can then that can be beneficial and certainly some of them are going to see that you know do that and then want to go further and hopefully that kind of introduces some some uh, interest in that way but, uh, yeah i was curious about um some of the student feedback um on the presentation that you had had given um the students who are kind of in that transitional year were a little more negative or not quite as on board i guess um compared to the students who started, I guess, when they're freshmen and, and through the whole curriculum. Yeah. Do you have a notion why those students who were in that kind of transitional year were a little more hesitant or not as positive about the experience? Right. We have small enough classes that I don't know that there's, you know, we can do a real thorough study of, of that. I think kind of what, you know, with some hindsight, I think what we kind of figured out was that classes are just different <laughs> that, that uh, we just have you know you just kind of it's it's luck of the draw and and that particular class so yeah this was I think our, our second class like we had one class that started um, halfway through the new curriculum and then the, the next class kind of had it from the beginning I think I think we're so like you know in, when you're doing curricular design you're so focused on okay well let me get the student feedback and let me figure out what that that we sometimes forget okay well for one thing they're college you know first year college students that they they they're coming from a bunch of different perspectives and a lot of preconceptions and they don't really have a good you know they don't have the same perspective as we do um, and then yeah that every year it's just a different batch of students and mm -hmm. and I think that it, we can we can kind of you know fret about about that kind of thing but sometimes we just have to take a step back and say okay you know what, let me just give it some more time because I think it was just that one class of students for whatever reason they seemed to be a little bit less into it um, mm -hmm. I, I remember there was, there, that was, that was one, that was the, there was one student in that class that I could tell was real hard. So I think she still hates me, but, uh, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, and then the next class, like, they're like, yeah, this is great. We're totally on board with this. So I think, you know, especially when you're dealing with smaller class sizes, you just kind of have to say, okay, we're not going to get the perfect feedback. We're not going to get, uh, excellent, you know readable results from from this without just kind of giving it some time and 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 trying it out and it may be you know after five years we kind of look back and say yeah this has sort of been a bad direction we need to alter it further I, i'm sure that we're going to be changing it as we go there's just so many variables that it's kind of an impossible thing to be able to to approach it scientifically you just kind of have to say well we're just going to do our best and and see what we can do yeah yeah I, f I found that if I can keep making my music ed faculty happy because they have to make sure that those students pass the that's it content exam right and that, yeah like. that is actually one of the the big <laughs> challenges that we especially with the the first first semester starting with acoustics where we weren't really getting into 
um, traditional notation until farther in. And then we, you know, had class piano teachers like, why can't these students like read triads yet? It's like, yeah, well, about that. Um, <laughs> so, so, you know, it kind of forced us to sort of take a look at that and say, okay, well, let's, you know, maybe, maybe we can find ways to introduce that in, in smaller, because certainly some of them come in to, to their first year, like knowing how to read music, no problem. But there are a few that don't. Mm -hmm. And, and so like, do we need to have, you know, an extra kind of thing or, or do we split it up where on Fridays that you only have to come to class if you need, you know, if you're needing help with, with notation, that kind of, we're still figuring that stuff out. That's, that's definitely, uh, and then of course, where, you know, farther out where this starts to make us wonder it's like okay you know we've got students who took ap music theory in high school and then they come like hey i'm ready to test out a theory and we're like uh about that mm. um where it's like okay that what you've what you learned was really valuable and it's going to help you in the long run but you still have to take theory one sorry because we're not you know covering <laughs> that and then if they're going on to grad school grad school entrance exams like that's that you know are we preparing them for that for that we kind of have to say okay well if you're looking at that then let's you know your junior senior year let's let's kind of give you some other uh, exercises to work with but um we're not going to let that stop us because this change i think needs to happen and the place that it kind of has to start is here because we're teaching the next generation of K through 12 music educators. So hopefully they're going to take that back, and eventually the AP theory test is going to say, okay, we need to we need to get with the times. And certainly, you know, yeah. same thing's going to happen with uh, grad school entrance exams. I hope <laughs> we're, we're I, I I can see it. Like it's it's there's so many people working on similar types of changes that I I think it's mm -hmm. I think it's just a foregone conclusion that it's it's going to happen. Yeah. Definitely. Well, if I could get back to the student feedback yeah. issue, I've run into as the student feedback um, point that you bring up is so well taken, even with a topic right. that few people would debate. I was going over, for example, key signatures, uh, major key signatures. I don't think anybody's debating eliminating that right. from the curriculum. Right, yeah. If, <laughs> if, if you are, email yeah, us. Right. I'd love to have yeah, you we, on. Yeah. <laughs> but one of my students, you know, I was just talking about tips and tricks, major keys. I mean, this is like, you know, theory one. And I talked about, okay, second to last flat, there's your major dough. Take the last sharp go up, T right. dough. There's your, there's your major dough. And after class, the student comes up to me, Dr. Graf, wouldn't you want us to be better musicians and just memorize all of our keys cold <laughs> and i said well let me let me dig into your response right. here a bit because number you've got two assumptions here number one is that you have to memorize all your key signatures to know them some people are just not at that stage and you just have to have a tip or a trick on yeah. occasion and i said the second part is about pairing the idea of a better musician with the idea of even number one knowing your keys right. and reading notation in general right, right. You know, and I'm like, there's just so much in your statement yeah. here. I appreciate your sentiment that you want to know I'm cold, yeah. but just take a second and think about what <laughs> right. you said. You know, because just like, yeah. even that, it's like a major key signature, yeah. you know? And I'm just like, wow, you really have that much beef with me saying <laughs> the second to last flat is dough, yeah. you know? Yeah, and that's, that's absolutely, like you, bless her heart, <laughs> 
first-year music students tend to be experts on music pedagogy. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, well, here's the way it ought to be taught. And it's like, okay, you have to, you don't want to like crush their spirits, but you also kind of like, okay, I've right. been doing this a little longer than you have. So, you know, I, 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 I like to use the, the Mr. Miyagi analogy, but that's becoming less and less effective as fewer and fewer people know, you know, it's like you have to paint the fence. Yeah. It's like, what does that mean, Dr. Rush? I have no idea what you're talking about. So, but yeah, you've got to, you've got to put a little faith in the fact that that you know i've like dedicated my life to to teaching this and i you know i i know that i there's things that i still need to learn but but i bet i can give you something so yeah that's that's definitely a we we have to we have to again we have to balance that we have to we have to listen to the students because they are telling us how it is from their perspective and that is a valuable thing um, but then we also have to make sure that we're not just, you know, kowtowing to, to everything and forgetting like, wait a minute, I've got like advanced degrees in this. I, I, I should trust my, <laughs> trust my judgment a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And I have nothing against memorizing your keys. I'm just putting that out right, there. That right. There is a lot more to that one response that that particular student Absolutely. said. That yeah. It's just like, oh my goodness, where do I even start? Well, and the, and, and I, I find myself just doing everything I can to avoid any memorization like I've, there's a there's a place yeah. for it but like if you can fi if you know the why and you can just figure it out that way then then you don't need to memorize it and memorization is is faulty because then you're just relying on on your know, rote stuff and and not like understanding you don't have a uh, the capacity to to do a sanity check and say, okay, well, does this make sense? <laughs> like, right, 18 sharps seems like a lot for a key signature, but that's what my calculations came up to, so I guess that's what it is. So, yeah. Yeah, I, the, yeah exactly. I agree. I agree. <laughs> so I've done some pretty big curricular overhaul here, too. It's actually happened sort of twice uh -huh. um, <laughs> while I've been here. This is my, I'm starting my 10th year mm. this fall in my full-time job. But one of the challenges that I've had is we have a very kind of particular oral skills curriculum. It is paired to the, the content in the theory classes and it works, right? right? right. Like when our students get to the end, they're having no trouble getting into grad school. They, they usually pass the oral part of the music ed exam. No problem. Right. They, you know, they have good skills. They take um, the music business students take a, an oral skills class. that's for recording engineers. Yeah. Um, yeah you know, right. at some point, right. but they're doing well there too. They're coming in with the skills they need. So you, I think you can tell the question that's coming yeah. is with a change this big and with a shift this large, what are you doing in RL Right. Skills? Yeah. And that is absolutely, you know, very much on my mind. That's kind of our next topic is we want to kind of do the same thing with oral skills. Um, and primarily the, the first year of oral skills we feel is, is probably more or less where we want it to be. Um, I've always been a, like, I, I haven't taught the, like, I, I used to teach oral skills here and, and my faculty load shifted, so I haven't taught oral skills for a few years. But uh, when I've taught, like, first year oral skills, like, again, kind of going to the memorization thing, like intervals, like, how important are intervals right off? Like, when, when we teach those, like, at the very beginning, then then the students kind of have it in their minds, like, oh, I have to use intervals for everything. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's, let's, let's talk about melody and let's talk about relative pitch and that kind of thing and then get to intervals when it's useful. Um, 
But then we, we kind of made a decision several years back that our first year of oral skills was really f- going to be focused on on singing and audiation and getting them, uh, you know, able to sight read very effectively and whatnot, because we, we saw that as sort of a weakness in our particular uh, students. And so it's the second year of oral skills that I'm really excited about, you know, rocking the boat with. And part of that is like in oral skills four, the first half of oral skills four, since we're devoting it to electronics in theory, then that is, hey, let's listen to what filter is being used here or, you know, how can you let, let's what can you do to recreate the the resonance in this recording? Um, you know, let's let's talk about mic placement. Let's talk about things like that, because, you know, those are oral skills that are mm-hmm. relevant for a 21st century uh, musician. And uh, and what I had done um, also, I think was this oral skills three. I'm trying to remember where I had it was kind of following through with the whole sight reading thing let's keep going and talk about more uh performance and and basically i had a a a sort of a semester a half semester assignment where it's like i want you to perform and a self-accompanied piece in front of the class and i'm not talking about solfege i'm talking about get up there and belt out some ingrid michelson or whatever um with a guitar or a piano because playing and singing, that's something that I never learned how to do. Like I, I can sing and mm-hmm. I can play, but it's like chewing gum and walking. Like if you come talk to me when I'm trying to play, like mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll mess up. So like connecting those two. And for some of like our, about half of our students are music therapy majors and that's like their bread and butter. So that's mm-hmm. no problem there. But it's all the other students who are like, oh my gosh, I don't like, I'm, I'm just, I'm not, not used to singing much less like performing. But boy, if you can do that, then that that advances you as a musician that and it gives you some skills that you can really rely on later on. So, yeah, that's that's I I definitely want to have that kind of we've we've sort of put that off a few years because we've had some faculty uh, position shakeups. So so we're kind of trying to get, you know, a place of stability there and and then start just taking apart the oral skills curriculum in the same way. Yeah. And this is. That really kind of it, one of the things that first inspired me to to make the changes to the theory curriculum was actually a talk. I think I want to say it was SMT in Arlington. I don't remember, but it was Tim Chanette, um gave this talk um, called "What Are the Truly Oral Skills." And it was a yes. fantastic talk. And one slide that he put up was like this kind of this target sort of thing, and at the center. It, it was like skills that every musician needs. But as you went out to the to the edges of the circle, it was more specific to particular disciplines. Like if they're going into you know music education, here are oral skills that they need. If they're going into performance, if they're going into therapy, you know, if they're going into recording technology, where then that was something that those students might need more than other students. And and I, I kind of sat there and, and saw that like that was sort of a revelation revelation to me. I was like, oh, this is what I need to do with theory. Like we need to figure out mm. what are the true theory concepts that everyone needs and then how can how can we go out, you know, and, and determine what what each specific and, and some some theorists have been doing that in a more modular way where like, okay, well at you know, for the second year then if you're a 
ed major, you go this direction and that kind of thing. And we only have, we have two sections of, of first year theory and one section of second year theory. We don't have the faculty or student Same. mode to, to be able to do something like that and break it up. So it, that's, yeah, that's, that's something that's like, okay, well, this is what we're trying to do is, is sort of be a little bit more open to, to different concepts uh, for, for different types of, of disciplines and, and be you know, as relevant as we can throughout all of it. Yeah, that Timothy Chinette article now is yes. that's a pre-reading for my workshop yeah. that I did last year, and everyone really, really oh, liked yeah. it. We had a, like, yeah. a long discussion about that, and it really raises a lot of good Absolutely. questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. So the other thought I had while you were talking about this is there's not a book that exists. Right. That does this. Right. Yes. <laughs> or is there? Well, <laughs> funny you should mention it. <laughs> no, that was, uh, that was, you know, we knew going into this, like, okay, we're going to have to make everything. Like we're going to have to, mm -hmm. and, and just collect stuff from, from online, that kind of thing. So what, uh, what Stephanie and I did, commitment. yeah, what Stephanie and I did is, mm -hmm. is we started by creating this, this uh, wiki, which I shared with you guys that, that is public. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and we invite anyone to, to look at it. Um, but basically sort of as a clearinghouse for, you know, uh, you know, there's a page for each lesson and there's, there's, you know, a course objectives, there's stuff we've collected for like worksheets and resources and, and whatnot um, as just basically a way to kind of start, start teaching with this. Um, and, uh, and that was the, the goal was always to write a book. And so we are working on a book and uh, um it's uh, it's not ready for public uh, perusal yet. I, I, I shared it with you guys with the podcast, um, but uh, I'm super excited about this and and like literally like I've, I'm tinkering at it before we recorded today <laughs> um, because it is an online text, um, you know, kind of inspired by the success that like open music theory has had and there's there's a few other great uh, uh, textbooks out there. Um, but uh, I'm also a uh, an armchair computer programmer like I, I i love i've always loved tinkering um with this kind of stuff and so i'm i'm excited about this because it's it's the the goal here is to take advantage of of the online um format and have things that are interactive so that there's a way to you know instead of just seeing a waveform like oh let's let's play with it and and, yeah. and see what it sounds like and, and manipulate things like that um so that's something that i'm feverishly working on and i can't tell you exactly when it's going to be done and and even like right now i've 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 kind of gotten the second half of the of the book to a an alpha state you know where where it's just it's just ready for me to to ready enough for me to use in my classes but i've it's still got a lot of work to do and um but once it's done we are fully intent on making it freely available for everyone to to use um and uh yeah so that's something i'm just super excited about yeah yeah i encourage everyone to check it out i did some work before this looking at it based on what you sent us and i was very impressed very impressed yeah highly recommend yeah and that wiki the yeah. the reason we have it as a wiki is is we invite other people to to submit stuff and and you know we're we're not trying to say this is the only way like it, we're we're going to benefit by as many voices as we can uh putting this together yeah that's great 
Well, this has been such a treat, Toby, to chat with you. Uh, time has just flown by. Um, <laughs> Likewise. Uh, but, this, <laughs> but we'd always like to end just with some short rapid fire questions, um, just off the cuff, uh, sound bite, you know, little tweet, tweet worthy <laughs> things, I guess. Um, though I think we do have a Twitter account, but we are never on it. Um, <laughs> so Ben or Jen, do you, do you have one? I have one. Right. Okay. I'm ready. So, you know, I'm a brand new music theory master student. What should I be learning that I'm probably not learning the way oh, things are set man. up right now? Oh man. That's, that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> I, I guess, you know, I'm, I think teaching stuff that you have not been taught, <laughs> if that makes sense, like, like the, the capacity to go oh, out and, good. and, and take something like, you know, rap, whether it's rap or, or electronic music or recording, you know, acoustics and be able to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to digest enough of this to present it to a student. Um, and and part of that is is being honest with the student and saying, you know what, I'm learning this too. Let's learn it together rather than try to come off as some expert. Um, and then part of it too is is seeking out expertise from other places and and that kind of thing. But uh, uh, yeah, learn to be a learn to be a facilitator of knowledge because just like if you only teach what you know then you're limiting your students and and that kind of gets us into the place where we're trying to fight to get out of as a discipline right now is is mm -hmm. uh is only teaching what we know so let's yeah that's that's a great great question that's a great answer oh, thank you. i like it that's good <laughs> yeah, i love it you want me to go paul sure all right number one most important oral skill oh wow I think singing, um, like like just vocalizing, because I can tell you that when I started as a freshman, I, I've told my this story so many times to my students. But when I started as a as a freshman in college, I had never really sung. Like I I was not comfortable singing whatsoever. I like I would whistle, <laughs> but I I just felt like so self conscious, and somehow. And I still don't really know how. And there, there wasn't like a girl involved or anything like that. I got talked into joining <laughs> choir. And it was the best thing for my musicianship as an undergraduate was just, and I'm, I am not a, a good singer. Like I am not a, a you know, my, my voice, I don't have, you know, all the depth of, of vocal quality and proper breathing and that kind of thing, but I've got a great ear and I can sing on pitch and that kind of thing. And that has helped so much. So yeah, that's, I think that's number one. If you, if you're, uh, it's not just being able to sing, it's being comfortable singing and being comfortable singing in front of other people and being okay with the fact that you may not sound beautiful doing it, but that you can sing like that. That's, that's what I tell my students anyway. That's good. That's great. All right. So mine has to do with common practice period. Cause when you're talking about that, uh, we think of the common practice period as a certain, you know, that's Bach, right. Mozart, Beethoven. What if we thought of common practice as just the way music is commonly made now, yes, right? Yes. That's what you're talking yeah. about. So, so in our current common practice period, right. give me, give me two or three names that would be like our Bach, Mozart, or Beethoven. Oh wow! You oh know? man, 
Uh, yeah, you're totally putting me on the spot with this. Because it's so easy for me to just, like, choose some of my favorite popular artists. Um, but, you know, I think, I think you probably, like, if you're really looking at common practice, then you're probably looking at some of these big name producers that are, you know, that, mm. that you see popping up on uh, everywhere. And, and I'm, I'm totally going to be embarrassing myself because I can't think of the guy's name, but like the Swedish guy who's, who like does like Britney oh, and everybody. I've, uh, Max yes, Martin. Yes, yes, Max Martin. So there's, yeah. there's one, you know, love him or hate him. Like that's, <laughs> you're hearing that all over the place. And you could go yeah. back, you know, again, like, you know, Phil Spector in as much as, as uh, mm -hmm. you know, the, the problematic elements <laughs> with his uh, personal life. But, you know, there's a sound that, you know, is very familiar. And so that's, I mean, I, I don't want to like, I don't think we should idolize and 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 just choose one or two names. Like that's that's it, it, we there shouldn't be a Bach, Beethoven, that kind of like like if we only limit it to a particular person or a, a group of people, then we're sort of making the same mistakes that 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 we were making before. Um, but there there are there are definitely techniques and sounds and and and. Uh, concepts that that uh, that are common to today's music practice that mm -hmm. that we need to start taking a little bit more seriously in in theory classes yeah i love that i love the common practice idea happening now yeah. right yeah. like what is common here right. um so as we wrap up just uh maybe let our listeners know where they can find you you have quite a web presence and so just uh, where they can reach out and to find what you're up to yeah yeah um basically toby rush uh you know the, the fact that i've got a a good theory a good a theorist name is, has benefited me well in that way there there is another toby rush in in kansas who i'm familiar with because uh we get each other's mail every now and then but uh yeah tobyrush.com is my website and uh it's got um, I, I need to update the homepage. Maybe I'll do that before this goes to air. Um, but uh, that's where my the, the theory pages are. That's where the wiki is. Um, uh, I've got some other stuff in there that uh, tinkering things that I do. I've got a, a Braille music uh, utility that uh, some people might find useful. Um, I'm Toby Rush on on Twitter as well. If you if you want to follow me there, um, I, uh, I I probably consume more than I produce on Twitter, but uh, but I'm still there. Uh, and I and I'm at uh, T Rush One. That's the one place that uh, I'm not Toby Rush. T Rush One at udayton.edu is my email address, and I'd love to hear what people are are doing and. Uh, how we can make this uh, this theory world uh, a little bit better. You just made it to the end of another episode of Note Doctors, the music theory and pedagogy podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review the podcast. And you can always reach us at notedoctorspodcast at gmail.com with comments, questions, or show ideas. Thanks for listening. <laughs>